God. Praise God. Great job, Minister Vinny. How are you all doing this morning? Has God been good to anyone in this building? Has he been really good to anyone in this building? Would you take, as we get, begin to celebrate Holy Week, would you take about 10 seconds to share with just one person how good God's been with, to you just this year? Just this year. Just take 10 seconds. Share with one person. Praise God. Because I know God's been better than just one situation to you, find one more person and just tell them. Take 10 seconds. Tell them something good God's done for you this year. Come on, don't be shy now. Find somebody else. Don't be shy. Praise God. That's one for the Father, one for the Son. Now let's do one for the Holy Ghost. Find a third person. Tell them something God's done for you just this year. Come on, don't be shy now. Get out of the aisle way if you need to. Great way to meet people. All right, well, praise God. Well, can we give God a victory shout in this place for just how good he's been to us on this year? God, you are awesome. You are great. And you are greatly to be praised. We give you all the glory for all the goodness that you've already shown us, Father, three months into this year. We praise God for it in Jesus' name. You can be seated out there. And while you're uh, uh, allowing yourself to be seated, turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. As we begin to celebrate Holy Week uh, we're going to read the entire uh, story from Mark's account, but we're going to cross-reference it from John's account, from Matthew's account, to get a full picture of everything that took place beginning on this day. And so, from chapter 11 of Mark forward, the events of Mark's gospel take place in or near Jerusalem. From his triumphal entry to his resurrection from the dead, all of this took roughly about eight days to happen. And so really, according to the Jewish calendar, on Thursday when we'll honor Good Friday is actually when the crucifixion took place. Because according to the Jewish calendar, it's at 6 p.m. that the next day begins. According to the American calendar, it's at 12 a.m. And so technically it was on Thursday when Jesus was crucified. But I mean, we're not getting ready to get into all of whether it was Thursday or Friday. We're just here to celebrate that he was crucified, right? And so, but technically, according to the Jewish calendar, it did happen on Thursday. And it was about an eight-day span that all of these events took place. The first day is often remembered or referred to as Palm Sunday. And I grew up attending Catholic schools. We were not Catholic, but we were taught Catholicism in Catholic schools. And on this particular day, after every service, we would get palms. And so we're going to have some of those for you today, for those that appreciate that and honor. But we're going to really take a scriptural look as to where that came from. And so we call it Palm Sunday, but really, scripturally, it's his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We call it that, but there's really no scriptural significance other than what I'll show you today. Really, the scriptural significance is his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so the title, title of the message is the triumphal entry, okay? And again, the significance of these events was not understood fully by his disciples until after everything had taken place. And as I continue to grow, how many of y'all have ever heard something taught like years ago, and then it wasn't until life hits you that you realize the truth of what you had been taught years ago? And that's kind of how sometimes revelation progresses. And so I want to show you something from John's account. Go to John chapter 12. Keep a marker in Mark chapter 11 because we're going to come back and read verses 1 through 11. But I want to show you something here. The disciples didn't fully understand all the events that occurred until after they had happened. Watch this in John chapter 12, verse 16. It says, his disciples did not understand, John 12, 16, did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him 
and that they had done these things to him. And so now with the benefit of hindsight, further revelation, let's take a closer look at Mark's account. Go back to Mark chapter 11 and let's read verses 1 through 11. I've learned over the course of my life, there are things that I've learned in theory, but it didn't become real to me until I had to live it. Anyone else in here willing to be honest? Matter of fact, I've even learned there are things I thought I knew, but I really didn't know when life hit me. Anyone else in here really willing to be honest? Then I realized, okay, I, I, I learned it, but I never had a chance to use it. Now I need to grow in this area. And these are all good things. Mark's chapter 11, let's read verses 1 through 11, then we'll go back and dissect uh, each uh, verse, verse by verse. It says, now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, go into the village, I'm reading out of the New King James Version, opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it, and if anyone says to you, why are you doing this, say, the Lord has need of it. Immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. Many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And wasn't that beautiful how they sang those worship songs today? Just beautiful, right in line with the message. Jesus went into Jerusalem uh, and into the temple, verse 11. So when they had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And so this will be an expository sermon today. We're going to look at verse by verse. So I want you to always keep a marker in Mark chapter 11. But we're going to travel so that we can understand what some of the symbolism is in this text. We're going to find out the prophecy that this text came from, how that prophecy was fulfilled. So we're going to go back and forth, but I want you to keep a marker in Mark chapter 11 because we're going to go verse by verse from Mark chapter 11, verse 1, all the way down to verse 11, and there's six points out of here. Point number one is the preparation, and these points should go up on the screen. Point number one the preparation. And you'll see that that's found in verse number one. Jesus and his disciples drew near to Jerusalem. And it says, by the way of Bethpage and Bethany. Bethpage means the house of unripe figs, and Bethany means the house of dates. These were two small villages near the Mount of Olives between Jericho and Jerusalem. And every time I see Jericho, it just reminds me of when we toured that particular area. And you ever notice when you read in the Scripture, it says when they went through Jericho, they fell among thieves and they were stripped of all of their garments. Well, really, Jericho is still that way to this day. We were riding down that road, and it looked like Vegas over there, didn't it? And they said, the tour guide said, that's Jericho over there. It was like a red light district, and it was clear, don't go through Jericho. Am I right or wrong? Very interesting, okay? So really, uh, these two villages were uh, uh, near the Mount of Olives between Jericho and Jerusalem. Jesus arranges two disciples in verses 1 through three to go and get a coat. And it's a coat on which no one sat. Now, you might recall over the years, people taught a prosperity message from that text. How many of y'all remember that? Meaning that uh, Jesus wants you to drive a new car and you should never drive a used car. Do you, do you all remember all of that? How I many know nowhere in here is it talking about new cars or money? Right? And that's called taking the text out of context to make it fit something that people wanted to mean. But you can't use that for a prosperity message and then justify. The reality is God wants you to drive a car that's paid for, whether it's used or brand new. 
Start used and work your way up to the brand new if that's where you're at, right? But don't use this to say he only wants me to drive a new car or live in a new house. Just wanted to throw that out there. That wasn't my message today, but just wanted to get it out there. So either by foreknowledge or what we would call a word of knowledge today, uh, because it was a current event, Jesus was able to tell the disciples where the cult was and actually explain to them that people would question them about that, and then he told them what to tell the individuals or the owners of the cult. Again, we would call that word of knowledge, but it was either foreknowledge or possibly Jesus had prearranged all of these events prior to this, where he had already gone and talked to this couple, made them aware that he was going to, or these owners made them aware that he was going to send his disciples later on and had already prearranged that. That's a possibility. I would like to believe it was really by word of knowledge. I believe he just knew in here and he knew how to give the instructions, okay? Then the disciples in verses four through six, they go and get the cult just as Jesus had proclaimed, and everything happened the way he told the disciples that it would happen. Point number two is his triumphal entry begins in verse 7. So Jesus mounts the coat. The coat is brought to him. Clothes are placed on it, and he sits on it. So now what you'll see here, it almost seems like a contradiction, but it really isn't. Keep a marker in Mark chapter 11 and go over to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew's account says that there were two animals present. Uh, Mark's account says that there was only one. So let's read Matthew's uh, account here. Matthew chapter 21, verse 2, his account of the triumphal entry. You'll notice in verse uh, 2 it says, saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a coat with her. And so a coat is a younger animal, usually about four years of age or younger. And back then, you could not mount these animals until they were at least four years of age. So the thinking here when it says, loose them and bring them to me, is that the mother colt was, or the mother donkey was there to comfort the colt in the event that the colt got overexcited and could not ride all the way through on the ride, okay? So that is Matthew's version of the exact same story. Then drop down to verse 7 in Matthew chapter 21, and it says, they brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and then set him on them. So many spread their clothes on the road. Others cut leafy branches, as we read in uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 8. Now, what is the significance of the clothes? How many know we should try to understand every aspect of this story? Not just read it, but really read it to try to understand it. So what is the aspect? I think we understand what cutting down the branches and the leaves and those things, but we'll expound on that in a moment. But what was the purpose of them taking off their garments and then laying them on the coat, also laying them on the road? Well, I think 2 Kings chapter 9 gives us some insight. Again, keep a marker in Mark chapter 11. Let's go look at 2 Kings chapter 9, and let's read verses 12 and 13. And this is when Jehu was anointed king of Israel, and notice what they did. In uh, 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 12 and 13, are you all there? All right, 2 Kings chapter 9, 12 and 13 says, and they said a lie. Tell us now, so he said, thus and thus he spoke to me, saying, thus says the Lord. I have anointed you, Jehu, king over Israel. Then each man hastened to take his garment and to put it under him and on top of the steps, and they blew the trumpet, saying, Jehu is king. And so you'll see, according to Jewish custom and tradition, when they took off their garments, it was to at the anointing of someone who was king. So what they're saying is, is that our king, the Messiah, has come, okay? Now, go back to Mark chapter 11, and you'll notice in verses 9 and 10, Many praise Jesus as he rides on the colt. And I wanted to kind of understand what were they singing? What were they praising God about or praising Jesus about? And what was the significance? So you'll notice what they were crying. And that word crying there means they were yelling this at the top of their lungs. Some translation says they were screaming, Hosanna. And, and the word Hosanna means to save or please save. 
But as I looked at this and cross-referenced this, what they were actually yelling was Psalms number 118, verses 25 and 26. Let's go back and read that. Psalms 118, verses 25 and verse 26. Hosanna means save or please save. Psalms uh, 118, uh, stanza 25, notice what it says here. And this is what they were literally yelling to Jesus. They were yelling, save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. So if you can see these events unfolding, they literally believe, according to Scripture, that this is their Messiah, and he has now shown up to save and deliver and to prosper his people. And how many know that's exactly why he came? I can tell you as a result of giving my life to to Christ, I have been delivered and he has prospered me in every single area of my life. Does anyone else in here have that same testimony? And this is what they believed. And so they're screaming this and they're yelling this at the top of their lungs. Hosanna, save, please save, deliver us, save now, we pray, O Lord, O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. And then notice what uh, Psalms 118.26 says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. So they believed that this was him. And they believed it based off of what the scriptures had pointed them towards. Now, this should give us some insight. How many know a true believer today will follow the scriptures, follow current events to kind of become sensitive to when he's coming back again? So the reason they could recognize and knew was because they were in the Scriptures. And the reason that they brought out their garments and they laid down the leafy leaves or the palms, as uh, John's account says, is because with all of their heart, they believed this was the coming Messiah. The rest of what they began to say was, Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest, as we sang today. And then in verse 11, it says, Jesus enters Jerusalem. He goes straight to the temple. He looks around, but the hour is late, so he does not stay. Okay? Point number three, the return to Bethany in verse 11. Mark chapter 11, verse 11. Jesus returns to Bethany with the twelve where he likely, according to everything that I research, stays each night during the week of the Passover until the actual Passover. Now, my whole thing last night was to try to understand if he stayed there, you know how some people again preach Jesus didn't have a home, right? How many know he had a home? But when he traveled, he stayed at other homes. Okay, let's bring that up to date. I just went to Houston last weekend. I mean, I don't have a home in Houston, so I had to stay in a hotel. So if you live in a time where they don't have hotels or a lot of hotels, where would you stay? With friends and family, right? In places and cities, or you stay with the friend of a friend who had family or something like that in that area. Does that make sense to everyone? So I kind of wanted to understand if he stayed there, where did he stay? And I think John gives us some insight. Let's go look at John chapter 12. And I got goosebumps just reading this story. John chapter 12. So it's it's highly likely that he stayed at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Look at John chapter 12, and let's read verses 1 and 2 to gain a little further insight of that. John chapter 12, 1 and 2. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, which is what we're reading about, where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, there they made him a supper. And Martha served, which is what she was always doing, right? Martha was serving. But how many know we need to have a merry heart in a Martha world? There are times when you've got to put the serving down and just sit at the feet of Jesus. But what was interesting to me about this story is that it highlighted Lazarus who had been dead. And then it emphasized again who was raised from the dead. Well, that would make sense to go stay there because how many know it's a foreshadow of things to come? Can you all see that? But yet at the same time, can you imagine 
what it's like in this house knowing that Lazarus had been dead. And now not only is Lazarus alive, but watch this. He's, uh, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. So now Lazarus is not just present. Lazarus is living, eating food, and enjoying life. Now, I don't know how anyone during this time could have rejected Jesus, knowing that Lazarus didn't just, he wasn't just raised from the dead and put back in the grave. I mean, that's one thing, come alive and then go right back. I mean, Lazarus is now living life. So everywhere he goes, it reminds people of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And so I believe with all my heart, Jesus stayed here for those six days because it was a foreshadow of things to come. Now, with the brief look that we've just looked at this narrative, let's offer some observations, okay? Point number four today, the fulfillment of prophecy. The fulfillment of prophecy. Go with me to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew in his account explains that this was in fulfillment of prophecy. So in other words, these events had to happen exactly the way they were prophesied. Matthew chapter 21, verse 4 and 5, read this way. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. That prophet was Zechariah, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lovely and sitting on a donkey, a colt. Notice it mentions both animals here, a foal of a donkey. Now, let's go back and look at the actual prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And I want to make sure you have this so no one could ever talk you out of what you believe. Okay? Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. This is the original prophecy. It says, rejoice greatly. I'm just trying to see if you all are are, are woke out there. Let, Let me read it again. It says, rejoice greatly. O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So you all can now imagine when Jesus begins to ride into Jerusalem on that donkey. I mean, everyone knows this is the fulfillment of the prophecy that they have been reading for all of those years from Zechariah. So now they're responding to the fulfillment of what had already been prophesied by taking off their garments, cutting down the leafy branches, etc., and laying them before Jesus as he marches into the city. Some view this short visit to the temple uh, as the fulfilling of prophecy. Go to Malachi very quickly, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. You'll notice in Mark eleven eleven, Scripture says he went into the temple, he looked around, but the hour was late, so he left out. Notice what Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 prophesies, and it's prophesying about a coming messenger. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will appear or prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, saith the Lord of hosts. So many believe his brief entrance into the temple was the fulfillment of this prophecy. Point number five, the nature of the kingdom. You'll notice in Mark's account that we just read, specifically verses 9 and 10 of the 11th chapter, the actions of the people really pointed to and reflected a messianic anticipation. They were believing God to send them their Messiah. And all of their actions demonstrate that they believed that this was him. And so we're going to talk about the nature of the kingdom because in part they misread that. You'll notice the reason I showed you the garments and different things, what they were looking for was a natural king 
who was going to come and rule by power and by authority, and they were really expecting him to come in on horses and chariots to really overthrow the current kingdom and then give them the king that they always wanted. But you're going to find that all of the symbols that we're reading in Mark chapter 11 speaks to a different type of kingdom. And so in both Mark's account, Mark 11 and John 12 that we've already read, you'll notice that the palm trees, all of the things, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and the king of Israel, they believed that this was him. But how many know he really didn't come the way they fully thought he was going to come? And let me prove it to you through Scripture. Earlier, some had tried to force Jesus to become king, but he refused. Go with me to John chapter 6. You all might recall after he fed the 5,000, you'll notice right after that in verse 15, this is what happened in John chapter 6, verse 15. John chapter 6, verse 15. Some had tried to force Jesus to become a king, but he refused. John chapter 6, verse 15 says, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Once again, things that he was demonstrating were not things that an earthly king would do. How many know an earthly king in that time did not feed 5,000 people? In most instances, an earthly king was making sure he was fed by the 5,000 people. All right? So now he's already pointing to his kingdom is different. His kingdom is not about him, but his kingdom is about the people. Isn't that good? That's a picture of what leadership should be like today. Many were looking for the Messiah to be a physical king, but Jesus made it clear that his kingdom was not of this world, and all of his actions spoke to that, that it was not a physical kingdom, but it was a spiritual kingdom. Go to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. You might remember when the Pharisees cornered him and surrounded him. Look at what they said to him. Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, how many know to the Pharisees, this is foreign to them? Because everything they know about a king is by observation. And Jesus is saying, my kingdom doesn't come through observation. My kingdom is on the inside of you. You'll find it right before his crucifixion. Notice what he said to Pilate, standing before Pilate in John chapter 18, verse 36. Go to John chapter 18, verse 36. Standing before Pilate, prior to his crucifixion, notice what he says. Pilate had just asked him the question, Are you the king? Are you the Messiah? Jesus answered and said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Once again, how many of you know that would throw Pilate off? Because he's a ruler. Everything they know about kingdoms is that kings rule and you can see it by observation. Jesus is explaining to them that what I'm bringing is going to be within you. It's not going to be by observation. Paul made it clear that the kingdom was spiritual and not physical. Go with me to Romans chapter 14. Paul made it crystal clear that the kingdom is not physical, but it's spiritual. And if you all are paying attention to anything that you're hearing today, You would spend less time worrying about what the world is doing and more time just growing in the kingdom. Because we can live in this world but not be of this world. And we don't have to suffer any of the effects that happen to this world. Even when the economy goes down, how many know in our kingdom the economy can still go up? Come on, sickness and disease can run rampant in this country, but it will not come near us. Why? Because we're not of this kingdom. 
Now, we should vote righteously in all of that, folks, but at the end of the day, we operate at an even higher kingdom than the president can put on us. I know this is getting ready to shock someone, but the president cannot run my life. I will honor the president. I mean, I will obey the rules of this land, but anytime they violate God's rule, I got a higher kingdom I can operate in. Oh, man, I wish I was preaching to some faith people in here. Right, we get all uptight about who's going to win, who's going to win. Jesus already won the battle for us. Glory to God. Our job now is just to vote as close, because you're not going to get perfect on either side. But try to vote as close to the values that you believe in as humanly possible. And then trust God with the rest. Notice what Paul said here, and I love it. Paul made it crystal clear. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Notice the order there, righteousness. How many know that is something that is a gift from God? He who knew no sin became sin so that we could be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. How many know when you know you are right with God, it is going to produce some peace and it is going to produce some joy in your life? All hell could break loose. But I'm telling you, when I know my life is right with God, in the middle of the storm, you can go to sleep and have peace and sleep good at night because you know that God is on your side. And if God be for you, then it doesn't matter who's against you. Glory to God. And so the kingdom of God is not eating, drinking, partying. Hello, somebody. The kingdom of God is rightness, right standing with God, which is going to produce peace enjoy in your lives. I'm telling you, I believe a true born-again believer should have joy 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You don't understand, Pastor, but I just lost my job. And let me tell you, if you really had joy, you'd know God has a better job for you in the future. Well, you don't understand. I just got a bad doctor's report. Boy, if you knew that your, your God was the actual doctor or physician himself, man, you wouldn't be worried about that report. You would maintain your joy because you know that by his stripes, you are already healed. Regardless of what the report says, I am healed. I know my body says one thing. Those are the facts, but the truth says that I am healed, and if that's what the truth says, then that's what I believe. I receive it, and now I just walk in it and wait on the manifestation of it in my body. Glory to God. 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 Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Anyone have joy in the Holy Ghost this morning? I said, does anyone have joy in the Holy Ghost this morning? Anyone have peace in the Holy Ghost this morning? You know, I saw it so vividly yesterday. I'm a parent. I can't imagine burying my children. I watched this mother on yesterday with a peace that passes all understanding. Matter of fact, they had already had the celebration in another state. But she was more concerned about his friends who still lived in Atlanta. So she called the church and said, can we have a memorial service? Because I want all of his friends to hear the gospel message of salvation. How many of you know most people will be laid out somewhere? Come on, won't come out the back room, all kind of stuff. And God honored her heart. And seven, I watched 71 people yesterday give their heart to the Lord. How I many of y'all know God can give you a peace that passes all understanding? I'm talking about where everyone else is breaking down, you're having one of the biggest breakthroughs of your life, even when things don't look like they're going right. That's, that's what the kingdom is, folks. And we're supposed to live that kingdom out loud. Hallelujah. 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 First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. Turn there very quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50 says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. So once again, we see that this kingdom is not a physical kingdom. This is a spiritual kingdom. Jesus' selection of the cult indicated the spiritual nature of his kingdom. Once again, normally kings would ride in on a horse with chariots 
symbolizing war, symbolizing power, symbolizing I'm getting ready to enforce and impose my will on you. Here's the bottom line, because my army is bigger than yours. I mean, if Jesus is coming in all by himself on a weak-looking coat. Every time I read this, this just blesses me to no end. But the donkey was also symbolic of something. The coat or the donkey was symbolic of peace, befitting the nature of his kingdom. Let me help you all understand something, folks. Stop fighting people. Make peace with people as best as you know how. Scripture tells us as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. You understand what that says? As much as you can control. You can't control what other people do. You can only control what you, can, you do. But control the part you can by operating in peace. But that's all. They're not going to respect me. No one can disrespect you. Did you all hear what I just said? You have to first receive disrespect in order for them to disrespect you. If you just ignore them, they didn't disrespect you. They disrespected themselves. And then you let the Christ in you live out loud. You don't need to fight your battles. You don't need to tell people nothing. Just keep living it in front of them. And when they see when God takes you from there to there, it all makes sense to them at that point. But you don't need to defend every accusation that comes your way. I'm preaching better than you all saying amen. Come on, you need to gather up all your friends and rehearse your story 50 times if you really know God's on your side. It's good stuff, isn't it? How many of y'all glad you came to church today? Are you learning anything today? Let's keep traveling now. Let's keep traveling. Go to Isaiah chapter 9, and let's look at verse 6. That donkey was symbolic of peace. See, even when they slapped Jesus and spit on his face, how many of y'all know he was cool because he had peace? He said, no man take my life. This is why they're slapping him, spitting on him, and beating him. No man takes my life. He said, I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I'll pick it back up again. You know, the part I like the most is when he told him, if I wanted to, I I could overpower you. I could call a legion of angels, and we'll mop the whole city of Jerusalem up. But he said, that's not how we roll. Come on, somebody. Let's just make it current, right? So that's not how we roll. We're going to operate in peace. So you do you. And watch me do me. And let's see who comes out ahead. Come on, somebody. Come on, let them do all the cussing, yelling, talking about you. Let them do all of that. But let's let the results speak for themselves. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given in his death, burial, and resurrection. And we'll celebrate this one week. The government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the what? Prince of what? Peace, the captain of our peace. Come on, somebody. I'd rather have that than anything else in the world. Give me peace. Let me sleep good at night. Come on, somebody. Let war go on all around me, but let me lay my head on a pillow and go to sleep good at night. Hallelujah. And you can do that because the Prince of Peace will always keep you. Isaiah 26.3 says he'll keep you in perfect peace. Whose mind is what? You know what perfect peace means? Shalom, shalom. You'll have peace on the inside and peace on the outside. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's close right here. The praise of the crowd. Before we read this, I want to help you understand something about crowds. Never get too high when the crowds are telling you how good you are. Right? Never get too high when people are patting you on your back. Whenever you do a great job and someone compliments you, take it with a grain of salt. Sometimes those same people 
And it does not take long at all. It can take seven days or less. Can talk about how much they hate you. I want you to understand, this same crowd, Hosanna, save, save us now. Send prosperity now. He is the king. One week later, kill him, crucify him, give us Barabbas. His blood be upon us and our children. Wow, really? Same people. Learn how to stay right in the middle of the road. So when people are praising you, praise God. When they're throwing rocks at you, praise God. Because <laughs> either way, God is still good. Now, how exciting it must have been on that day, the anticipation and the joy. If you all can picture this, these people are going bananas over Jesus riding into this city. But it's also symbolic of something else, folks. How many of y'all know the same way he rolled in and ascended up? He's coming back again. I want you to think about the anticipation that they were looking for him to come with. How many of you know it's the same anticipation, because I'm going to bring it up to date now. It's the same anticipation we're supposed to have at his return. So this is getting ready. It's going to take faith to receive what I'm getting ready to say to you. So actually, when we start hearing about wars and rumors of war, we should start celebrating. Oh, Jesus. Just like they knew when he came in on that coat, based off of what Zechariah had prophesied, their excitement level rose. The more things that we begin to see, like today, what did it drop, 30 degrees last night? That's not normal. We saw people covering up their plants and and, and all kind of stuff so that they won't freeze because this doesn't normally happen heading into April. We should get excited about that. Folks, Jesus is coming back again. Let let me try this side of the room over here. I I said Jesus is coming back again, folks. This was his first triumphal entry. But how many of you know his next entry is the entry of all entries right here? Let's read some things around that. Today we can join in the praise of Christ each and every single day of our lives. And we can look forward to praising Jesus when he returns. We'll be glorified together with him. I believe that mother on yesterday, because she knew her son was born again, I believe she wasn't focused on his past. She was focused on the future. What she was saying was, he's not in my past. He's in my future. And I'm going to live my life in such a way that I'm going to spend eternity with my son. I really believe that's the only way. I've never seen a mother with that kind of peace. Service had already been held. She said, hold another one, and 300 people show up because I want all his friends in Atlanta to hear the salvation message. I was so blessed by that and then got up at the end and preached to him. I'm closing the service out. She said, can I say something? What am I getting ready to say? And the mother wants to say something. I'm sitting my little tail down somewhere, right? (laughs) Speak on, ma. And then she began to commence preaching to the audience. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. Notice what it says here, and I'm going to cut some verses out. Uh, you all will get the point. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10 says, When he comes in that day to be glorified, notice, not with his saints, but where? In his saints. You see that? How many know we're all going to get a glorified body one day? Whether we are alive and we meet him in the air or the dust is in the ground, How many know our spirits will go and regather the dust, reform our bodies, we'll have a glorified body? The Scripture says when we see him, we will be like him. So regardless of your age right now, most scholars believe if you're 80, you're going to go back to about 33. If you're younger than that, you'll go up to about 33 and live in a glorified 33 state 
for all of eternity. How I many know I'll take that all day long right there? I'll take that all day long. So regardless of whether your loved ones have already left, come on, somebody, or we get caught up to meet him in the air, the work that he's going to do in us is going to give us a glorified body that we can live throughout eternity. Come on. We won't need airplanes to get from place to place. We've just got to think about where we want to be, and we'll show up in the room. Glory to God. We'll be in one house that has many mansions in it. So you, maybe you didn't get your dream house on earth, but I'm telling you, your dream house is waiting on you in heaven. Glory to God. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you so. But I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. He's going to come back and get us and take us home throughout all of eternity. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a triumphal entry that will be when Jesus returns. This time, folks, he's not coming to offer himself for sin as he did this time that we're reading. This time he's coming to offer eternal salvation. For all of us that believed. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. Let's look at that story. Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 27 and 28 says, And it is appointed for men to die once. But after this, the judgment. I was telling the families on yesterday, everyone wants to get to heaven, but no one wants to die to do it. And the reality is, folks, the moment you were born, you began dying. So you can live 120 years on this earth, and there's nothing but a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. In eternity, you didn't even live one day because the Scripture says one day is as a thousand years to the Lord. Let's keep this stuff in perspective. Look at what it goes on to say here. So Christ was offered once to bear, which means carry, the sins of many. Now, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time. Notice what it clearly says, apart from sin. He's not coming back that way again. For salvation. So that will be a day of salvation for those who eagerly await him. Am I in the room with anyone that's eagerly awaiting his return? I said, am I in the room with anyone that's eagerly awaiting his return? Listen to me, folks. I love life, but, man, I can't wait for eternity. Man, I miss my mother so much, I can't wait to see my mother again. And I believe I'm going to see some people who are going to surprise me that I thought didn't make the trip. I'm like... Boy, when did you do that, boy? And then I think there are going to be some other people I'll be looking for. Won't be able to find them. Scripture bears me out. Let's read uh, verses 7 through 9, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. For others, it will be a day of condemnation who are not eagerly awaiting. Now, you'll find some people, you know, like Dad Hagen used to always say, you know, stay in the middle of the road. Some people get in a ditch on one side, ditch on the other side. Some people take that grace message too far, and what they say is, I will not say any negative words in the sanctuary. Man, forget that. If it's in the Scripture, I'm saying it, especially if it's in the New Testament. I'm going to read this real plain and clear to you, okay, because I love you. Watch this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. For some, it's going to be a day that we eagerly await, and it's going to be a day of our salvation. For others, it's going to be a day of condemnation. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, 7 through 9. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed, returned from heaven, with his mighty angels in flaming fire, watch this, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those two things he said here, who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
which is why I never preach once saved, always saved. Did you hear what he just said? He said two categories of people, those who don't know God and those who refuse to obey the gospel. So these are people who know him but refuse to obey. There's a coming judgment and condemnation to those people. Let's keep reading. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Folks, there is still a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And I want to encourage you today. I know I'm in the room with mostly believers. I want to encourage you to eagerly await his triumphal entry at that last day. And let us faithfully serve in his kingdom where we can receive and experience righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. People who are eagerly awaiting his return serve Christ. And they serve him with a sense of joy because their heart is to get as many people in the kingdom as they possibly can before he returns. So they make themselves available. They use their gifts, talents, and abilities. They get involved with small groups because they like seeing other people come to Christ. These are people who live like they're eagerly awaiting his return by serving him to the best of their capacity. In Luke chapter 19, verse 38, our close here says, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, and glory in the highest, as we sang this morning. Is there anyone again in here eagerly awaiting his return? And listen, it's going to be lived out through your actions. Hallelujah. 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 For all of us that are eagerly awaiting, let's just worship him for a moment. Let's worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Just lift your hands to heaven and just begin to worship him and tell him how much you appreciate this week and what this week means in your life. How his death, his burial, his resurrection not only saved you, but it delivered you and removed the consequences of sin from your life. Let him know that you're eagerly awaiting his return so that he can be glorified in your body. Whether your loved ones have already gone on to be with the Lord or whether we'll be caught up to meet him in the air. Whichever way it goes, he's going to be glorified within our bodies. And Father, we eagerly await that day, Father. So we serve you with gladness and tenderness of heart, Father. We serve you with righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Ghost, Father. And we give you glory for that. But he also mentioned two other categories of people that I want to minister to today. Those that don't know him, then what they have to look forward to is a day of judgment and a day of condemnation. Then we have those that knew him but chose not to obey him. They have a different thing to look forward to. But I believe God brought you here today to hear this message to give you one of the greatest opportunities you could ever have in your life. And so now while every head is bowed, every eye is closed in prayer, no one moving, no one talking unless you've been assigned to do so. I want to give four invitations today. Maybe you're that person that you don't know Christ. I want to give you an opportunity to receive him today and ask him to come into your heart. By confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart, Jesus Christ is the Son of God.